Welcome to this weekly, uh, whatever it is, welcome to the weekly, um, this pastor's talk back question and answer uh, edition, Aaron and I here to answer some questions that were submitted after both last week's teaching and um, this week's teaching. Uh, so uh, we, we had a handful come in, um, sort of all over the map, but um, really excited to, to dive into these. Um, Aaron, what's been your go-to quarantine activity these days? What's been the what's been one thing to keep you sane while working from home and being yeah, restricted from interaction with others? That's a good question. Uh, probably two things is one, trying to hang out with little Audrey. She's about ten and a half weeks old, so that's just been fun to see her grow and smile and kind of laugh and do all the things. That's just been super sweet. I've I've been loving watching her grow. And then I've just been getting back into running a little bit more. Um, never going to get to Drew Plumley level, but um, will you know, any try- of us ever get no, to that level? None of us will. But I'm I'm at least trying to um, get a little bit get a little bit fitter and be outdoors and that kind of thing. Nice, yeah, uh, outdoors, man. That's I have such a new appreciation for being outside. Um, it just earlier today I was sitting in a lawn chair just reading, just enjoying it. Yeah, that's, the the that's a great way to do it. That's a great way to do it. I feel like yeah. everybody's yards are going to look the best they've ever looked, except for except for our yard where it's like on the weekends. I'm like, I can mow for about an hour or two, and then I need to take care of this little child um, <laughs> and do things inside. But I know yeah. your house is looking good, so yeah. Pressure washing, man. I've been doing a lot of pressure washing. Shout out the gym slice, gym slice the younger for hooking me up. Well, so um, our questions that we had this week, um, two that we had come in, we wanted to answer just really quickly, kind of off the off the top. The first was whether or not I was using a green screen during the sermon, and the answer to that is no, I was not using a green screen. And if I was using a green screen, I would have included some kind of background that featured, I don't know, like the Death Star, or I don't know, Mordor, or I don't know, something like that. So if I am using a green screen, the way that you'll know is that there's some mega nerdy dweeby uh, background that I've put up. That's how you'll know. The second question um, that we want to answer real briefly was uh, related to the reflection question. So so these last few weeks, we've tried to feature some uh, reflection questions um, to just prompt discussion amongst roommates, housemates, uh, family members. And the question was on whether or not we could feature those more regularly and even figure out a way to include them in the, the worship guides when we start physically gathering. And the answer is um, resounding yes, very much so. We, we would love to figure out a way to, to make that a regular element of, of TCGS's life. That's a, that is an Aaron Markham invention there. So, and kudos just, like, just, just like you say uh, uh, pretty often that anything you say is not original to you, I am just stealing that from Citadel Square Baptist Church down in uh, Charleston. One of our Pillar Network uh, friends that Casey and I went to back in August when we were kind of traveling around before we were um, kind of back in Greer after coming home from Kenya. And they they did that and it was super helpful. So on our 20-minute drive back to, um, back to where we were staying, we um, just talked through uh, the reflection questions that they had after the sermon. And I was like, man, this is great. It's good to have some prompts and Shout out to Jessica Moon also. That's her former church that she just moved from. Um, so, yeah, 
New member, Jessica Moon. New new member, Jessica Moon. Nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely want to make that a, a regular feature of our worship. Um, now the next question is related to the worship gathering and kind of the, the life of the church in general. The question is actually from a couple of weeks back. We didn't get to it in our one of our previous episodes, but we wanted to make sure that we answered it. It's a really good question. It says, our church talks a lot about uh, church calendar and uses words like liturgies, catechisms, doxology, etc. Can you discuss these things related to church history? So, yeah, I would imagine, and maybe Aaron, you could speak to this. I would imagine that if you are, I mean, we're a Southern Baptist church, and if you are familiar with Southern Baptist church life and you came to the church at Greer Station, you might be a little, I don't know, confused that we, I mean, our living room liturgy is called a living room liturgy. You know, we use liturgy regularly and we take our kids through the new city catechism and and i have referenced on more than one occasion the heidelberg catechism of course we sing the doxology so i'd imagine that if you're acquainted with southern baptist life and you hear some of these terms they i don't they, they seem they seem different and they seem a little bit out of the ordinary um and aaron is a relatively new kid on the block um was that the case for you guys did you did you feel that when you yeah first came yeah it was de- definitely definitely different. Um, and I even, even in talking to some of our kind of convention leaders, either, um, from the local association or from state convention, kind of, they always are kind of addressing that we're doing something kind of unique, um, in maybe Southern Baptist world. Um, so obviously our, our theology, our doctrine, our ecclesiology, the, how we set up our church are very much Baptistic, but then we, we draw a lot from church history. Um, which I can, I can really appreciate. And, um, yeah, just am, am grateful for how we, how we practice, I think our rootedness in that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, these words are, I mean, they're, they're not necessarily easy, um, to think through. So I think, um, is it okay just to define some of them, talk through some of them? Well, yeah, so I was going to add, so as I was thinking about this, I know what, I know what liturgy means. Liturgy simply means the work of the people. That's what the, the word liturgy means, the, the work of the people. So the idea is that the, the elements of a worship service are uh, the, the, we could say the, the work that the people do in response to God and an offering to God. Um, so the, the idea is that the, the, when you talk about liturgy, it oftentimes has this high church, maybe even kind of Catholic-y association, um, which is not a word, but you know, it, it feels kind of Catholic-y. Catholic-y. Yeah. But it, it's actually like thoroughly Baptist in that its emphasis is on what the people are doing, what the body is doing, you know, what the congregation is doing. Um, it's the work of the people. So the, the liturgy, the different elements of the service are what the church is doing together in response to God, you know, saving us in Christ and in offering to God in worship. That's good. Um, what is, I don't even know what catechism means. Do you know like the etymology of the word catechism? I definitely don't know the etymology, but I did Google some, some definitions of, you know, kind of this basic summary of Christian instruction or summary of Christian principles uh, in the form of question and answers used for, um, to kind of introduce learning, to use for instruction. Um, so yeah, questions and answers to kind of teach Christian principles. Yeah. Yeah. And catechisms are, um, catechisms have been around, honestly, almost as long as Christianity has been around. There's, there's a long history of catechisms, almost, you know, all the way back to what is probably the, the period 
of the New Testament shortly after the New Testament. Um, and uh, the Heidelberg Catechism, for instance, was it was developed during the Reformation to help kind of uh, disseminate Protestant teaching around that time. And they they realized that this kind of question and answer format was a helpful way in teaching some of the some of the foundational doctrines and foundational truths that that make up the Christian faith. And one of the things that I love about especially the Heidelberg Catechism is when you the way that the questions and answers are, are, are structured is it's, it's really natural. So you'll have a question that's like, what is doctrine X? And then you have the answer. And then the next question will be kind of the, so what question, why is that important? And then it'll have the answer. And then it'll, and then it'll pull out one feature of that answer and say, now why is this particular thing important? And then it will have the answer. And so it just, it gives a kind of a real natural, helpful way of teaching foundational Christian doctrine that, that I appreciate and think is really useful. And, and the fact that Christians have used it for so long says something about uh, its usefulness and, and the wisdom of, of embracing that, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's good. And I think um, kind of two ideas, one, one on liturgy, you know, we, it does, it does feel like a high church idea. Um, but I think that first and foremost is literally every single church has a liturgy. Um, mm. whether they want to call it a liturgy or not, they have a flow of we do this songs or this prayers, or we preach this way. And then we, then we do a song and then we do a response time. And then we do, you know, whatever, whatever the organization is of the, of the gathering is, is a liturgy in some, some app way or aspect, whether it's very contemporary or very traditional or very whatever. Um, so we all kind of have a liturgy, um, but we, we try to hopefully show, and I think we even get a, we've gotten a good number of responses from even kind of newer members about seeing intentionality in, in the liturgy. Like there's a reason we're doing this. There's a reason the progression is um, from a call to worship to a confession and assurance to a sitting underneath the word um, to a, you know, praying for, for a missionary, that, that kind of thing. We, we try to show a level of intentionality. Um, in that and then also in the in the catechism it's obviously yeah foundational teaching i think one thing that makes me sometimes wary of catechisms um which casey and i talk around uh, fairly often is obviously you could have good sounding answers but then be like where is that found in the scriptures so i'm always helped Mm -hmm. by catechisms that have have scriptures after it just to be able to go and reference and actually be like okay yeah this this idea um even casey and i were talking around the idea of what happens after death the other day of, um, you know, do we, are, is our spiritual bodies, you know, um, separate from our physical bodies, just what all happens around that. But, and we found some good answers, but then, um, the answers didn't have any biblical passages. So they, they sounded really great. They were short and pithy and helpful, but then it was like, I don't know where you would get that from scripture. Um, so it's just helpful. It's helpful in catechisms to, to have, um, just biblical, biblical answers to, to, um, to the questions as well. Yeah. Yeah. And to once again, shamelessly plug the Heidelberg catechism. That's one of the elements about it. That's so good is there's not only the, the references like kind of bullet point listed off, but the actual scriptural text is included in the catechism. Yeah, that's great. Um, where it, where it draws upon, uh, the scriptures that the answers draw upon. Yeah, that's really good. And that's a really important point. And Hannah Squires mentioned this in the um, the preschool teaching that these, it doesn't replace the Bible. It doesn't 
uh, talking about the new city catechism with the preschoolers. This doesn't replace the Bible. This isn't um, even kind of the central feature of our study. Um, it's a tool to, to help us understand scriptures and to help us understand God and know God. Um, so that, that's a really yeah. important, I think, helpful thing to point out. And that's helpful, especially in teaching children, just because like my Bible right here is, you know, 1,340 pages. Um, so we obviously can't get a, it's hard enough as a, an adult to consume all of this, um, to, to really have a clear grasp on what we're, what we should know. So definitely for our children, is it helpful to kind of, kind of condense it down, get really the, the most important, not to say anything is, um, less inspired or, um, anything sure. of that sort, but there are some key doctrines to really pull out. Yeah. Yeah, sure. That's good. Um, sp- speaking to, um, just church history in general and our big question series we've got coming up, we're, we're going to talk about just the, just the reality that the church has a long messy history and some, there's a lot of misunderstanding about that that we'll address. But, but at the end of the day, I mean, there are some elements of church history that, you know, we look back on and we think, you know, maybe that wasn't the best thing in the world. Um, but whether we like it or not, when we become Christians, we become a part of the transgenerational, transnational, people of God. And so the church, the church's history becomes our history, good, bad, and ugly, whether we like it or not. So, so there, there is one thing to just kind of recognize that we, we do belong to something that's much bigger than ourselves and even much bigger than our particular local church. Um, and there's wisdom in looking around and acknowledging our forebears in the faith, seeing the things that they did, other things that they didn't do. And, uh, you know, embracing some of those practices. And, and in some ways, when we talk about, you know, you mentioned how everybody has liturgy, and I think that's such a good point. Um, for folks who are really resistant to these ideas, to using words like liturgical or to using things like catechisms or even using the church calendar, um, maybe it feels weird for us to do it, but we're actually kind of the anomaly. Those of us who don't do that are actually kind of the anomaly in church history uh, in the kind of grand scheme of things to not embrace some of some of these things is sort of the, the weird thing to do, not the other way around. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's, that's really helpful. Um, so yeah, if you have any more questions about that, please let us know. I have, my kids are running around like crazy. So you can hear that. That's great. Hey, I'm recording something right now. So let's keep the volume down. I, um, so the church of your so, station, we're just ordinary. Okay. Kids running right. around. That's right. <clears throat> With no shirts or shoes on and shorts on backwards, running around outside, coming inside to raid the fridge. That's the way it works. Um, cool. Um, so next question. Um, this, is, this is a really inter- interesting question to me, um, prompted by, I think, the inclusion of the phrase, come quickly, Lord Jesus, in our confession assurance this week. The question reads, does praying come quickly, Lord Jesus, say that we are not caring about all the people who have not heard or responded to the gospel? If I am ready for the sufferings of this world to end, is it uncompassionate of me to pray that prayer knowing it gives less time for people to hear the gospel? What do you think? Do I, do I confess that my wife and I are the one who created the question? <laughs> um, well, it's yeah. okay. We, uh, we, we were just thinking about it and 
come come quickly, Lord Jesus, mostly because I also included it in I included that prayer in my devotion from um, two weeks ago or so during during Holy Week um, at the end of one of my devotions. I, I concluded with that, and it comes from Revelation chapter twenty two, verse twenty. He who testifies to these things says, "Surely I am coming soon." This is Jesus saying, "Surely I am coming soon." And then John responds, "Amen." Come, Lord Jesus. So he seems to to emphasize that. Yes, Amen, Jesus. We want you to come soon um, because this world is is not the way it not the way it should be. And so I think in in praying that prayer. Um, we definitely acknowledge that, that when Jesus comes, it does kind of conclude the time at, at when people can um, respond to to the gospel and respond with with uh, faith and repentance in this life. And um, but we also have a lot of hope that when Jesus returns, he will have gathered all his people together. He will call his elect to himself. Our prayer isn't going to stop someone from responding who. Um, should respond or, or will respond. Um, we can we can trust that that Jesus is is sovereign. So it's kind of like we pray, "Come quickly, Lord Jesus," but not my will, Your will be done. To kind of combine yeah, good. two two kind of prayers we find in the Scripture. So it's like, Jesus, I want this world to be made right. I, I'm I'm tired of the sufferings. I feel the heartache. I feel the restlessness. To your point from the sermon this past weekend. Um, it is far better for us to be with you. Philippians one, live as Christ to die as gain. Um, a few verses after that, just highlight it is better to be with Christ. Christ is our life. Christ is our hope. It'll be much better to be with him. Um, but just, just like, I don't want to kind of similarly, I don't want to die today. Um, I, I want to soak in this life. I want to see Audrey grow up. I want to minister in the church. I want to live my life to the fullest it's kind of a weird oxymoron to say, but it would be better to be with Jesus. Um, and so I think we can, we can pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Um, and you know, take it, but then while we pray that we take advantage of all the opportunities we have here and now to preach the gospel, um, to see the gospel go forward and really try to, um, take responsibility for that. Yeah. That's good. That's really good. That's a really helpful answer. I, I'll confess, I really didn't know what to say to this other than, I mean, I think it's a really good question. And I think it's, uh, um, you're probably not alone in wondering it, Aaron. Um, so that is that is really helpful. And to just recognize that there is kind of some tension that exists there between, you know, what we, wanting Jesus to return, but also, you know, recognizing that there there are like good God good God-given joys of this life that, you know, we're, we don't want to too speedily pass by. I, I do think maybe one thing that's helpful in pointing out with that is, you know, recognizing that um, when Jesus does return, I mean, that is the time when all sad things are made untrue mm-hmm. and when all of our deepest longings really find resolution. Yeah. And I've, I've thought about that before too. Like, you know, if, what if, you know, God forbid, what if I, what if I passed away and didn't get to see my kids graduate high school and like you said, get married and grow up and, and all these things. And, you know, I want to see what adult Nate and Jude and Ruthie look like and, and all that sort of thing. But to also recognize that if to be apart from that is better, then that really means that whatever kind of joy and 
happiness and fulfillment that's that's good and proper and God-given, any joy and happiness and fulfillment that would come from seeing those things, it's not, it's not, um, it's they're, they're more deeply met. That joy and fulfillment is more deeply met at Christ's return than, than isn't, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah, that's helpful. Um, and I think, I think even with us prompting the question or, you know, really Casey prompting the question more so of j- just, just the urgency, urgency there is to share the gospel. And that is very yeah. convicting for me. Um, thinking about neighbors, thinking about lost people groups, thinking about Kenyans that I left, you know, we left nine months ago, however long ago, eight months ago that maybe have not heard the gospel. Um, we, we really have a responsibility and we want to see our church be a mission sending church. And I would love to see, see us 10 years from now, we're just sending people left and right, or, you know, even a year from now, left and right all around the world um, to, to go kind of satisfy the other side of this question that mm-hmm. we, we don't want Jesus to come without people having the opportunity to respond um, and hear the gospel. Mm. Yeah, that's good. I think Spurgeon said the question isn't um, how could God, how, how is it typically phrased? Um, how could God send people who have never heard to hell? The, the better question is how could God allow people who have never told into heaven? Mm. <laughs> and, I, you know, I guess it's sort of a rhetorical dodge, but the, the point is well made, mm. uh, I think. Um, so, and I, and I think even in, even in us asking the question, I, I hope that it gives people in our church continued freedom to ask questions. Cause it's like, these are questions Casey and I are sitting here wrestling with on a Sunday as we, as we think about life, um, mm. that we don't, we don't, I'm, I don't want to shrink back from, from good questions and just questions of thinking like, are we using the right language? Um, we should assess, you know, come, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Is that biblical? Well, I think it is. I think we can go to Revelation 22. Um, but if we were just kind of praying that whimsically without kind of scriptural uh, clarity on it, then, then maybe that wouldn't be a good prayer. So just to um, really think through things and, and be sure we're honoring the Lord with, with our worship and with our prayers and with our questions and with the way we think and, and all of that. Mm. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, and then the final question is just related to um, the practical outworkings of the, the sermon from Sunday. So on Sunday, uh, we kicked off our teaching series called Pilgrim Songs, where we're exploring the songs of ascent. These were songs that were psalms or songs that were to be sung on the pilgrimage into Jerusalem. And Christians have always kind of read them as a way to almost kind of typify our own pilgrimage through life um, and our own ascent to Jerusalem, we might say, both, both in terms of our kind of progressive growth into Christ-likeness, but also, you know, the fact that one day, one day we'll, we'll cross through death and, and we'll arrive in the heavenly city. And, you know, at the end of all things, the new heavens and the new earth will, um, will, will be our landing place. Um, but one of the points that I made um, from Psalm 120 on Sunday was that there's a sort of restlessness that begins the psalmist journey. There's a kind of a fed up, uh, there, there's this recognition that he 
he lives in the land of lies and he sojourns amongst amongst those who are unfriendly to him and I was kind of making the point that that's that's kind of the reality for us still you know here in a fallen world we're in the land of lies where all sorts of things are are over promising and under delivering all the time um uh we we live in a world that's unfriendly to us um uh, we live in a world where evil abounds and there's a kind of restlessness for home that should, that's proper for, um, for Christians. Um, but we also acknowledge that different types of restlessness. So there's kind of the, the restlessness for home, like an eagerness to be, you know, on the, on the other side of, of a, of a world where, um, where there's can- cancer diagnoses and, and things like that. And, um, but there's another type of restlessness that comes from just kind of realizing that this, I think the way I said it on Sunday was there's kind of a, just kind of a ceiling as to how things, as to how good things will be here, that maybe, maybe there's always going to be a kind of restlessness that comes from living on this side of the veil, you know, like recognizing that, um, well, recognizing that even good things like my, my children and, and my wife and my life in church is only it's only going to be so good. It can only, you know, satisfy and fulfill so far and that, that we are built for a deeper sort of soul rest. Um, anyway, so um, the, the questions were, uh, the final question was, what are some practical ways to lean into restlessness? That was one of the things that I recommended folks do is to lean into restlessness. And so the question was, how, how can we practically lean into that? Um, what do you think? Do you have any thoughts on uh, and any anything to clarify what I just said, or any thoughts on an answer to that question? No, I think that's I think that's really 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 helpful. Um, I think just to your point is you know first and foremost kind of assessing what kind of restlessness are are we operating in? Um, are we hoping that um, you know something something will satisfy that something will um, you know, meet a, a certain level of um, fulfillment for us and it's just not um, kind of your first kind of restlessness or are we, you know, restless for the home that we long for and, and that kind of being a good restlessness to, to be with the Lord. It's kind of determining where we are on that. And then to your point also on Sunday is, is where do we go after that? Do we go to Netflix? Do we go to Instagram? Do we go to things to kind of numb numb ourselves, which is definitely can be easily be a tendency of mine um, in a number yeah. of different ways. Um, I, I deleted the internet off my phone the other day just cause it was like, I don't want to, I don't want to just go scroll on ESPN and look up sports stuff when I don't want to think about other things. I want to, that's if there's any sports stuff to look at right now, but correct. Correct. You have a good point. Correct. But just, just, you know, if I need, if I need two minutes of silence, like maybe that's, maybe that's what mm. I need to really just kind of consider. So, um, to your point also just thinking that that a good way to lean into restlessness is just taking some time to be quiet um, go into solitude reflect spend time honestly assessing your heart really get to the bottom of of where your heart is um, what would you what would you add to that yeah I think that's really really good I mean I think it was uh, was it Pascal that said like the root of all of man's issues or that he's he's unable to sit alone by himself um, and you're know, just more or less making the point that our our tendency with restlessness is to um, 
is to drown it out, is to, to just crowd it out with noise and never have we been more able to distract ourselves. Um, so I'd say that's one thing is really assess your habits and assess, you know, whether, whether or not you are distracting yourselves, uh, distracting yourself from any kind of unpleasant feelings, any kind of, any sense of restlessness, um, really evaluate that. Um, I think I want to add too, um, if the Psalms teach us anything and, you know, the songs of ascent, the, the Psalms of ascent teach us anything, it's that there is a sort of permission we're given to go to God with lament, with that restlessness. Um, and very literally, like go to him in prayer and um, just honestly, what you're feeling, where you're at, your frustrations and disappointments, bringing that to the Lord and asking him to take that, asking, asking for his help and seeing your restlessness more clearly, um, bringing those things to the Lord and, and voicing them in prayer. Um, I think that there is a, there is a, a power, I, I guess you could say that comes from, from really naming the restlessness. If, if you are at a place where you thought this season of life or this new house or this new job or the pay raise or this new relationship would be the, the threshold that you would cross and, you know, you would be there, you know, kind of wherever there is. And it turns out not to be that way. Um, confess that to the Lord and confess that you were seeking fulfillment, um, seeking home in something that, that just wasn't built to sustain that, you know? Um, so I'd say, like, don't underestimate the, um, how important it is for us to really honestly bring these things to the Lord, both in confession, uh, and in petition, you know, asking him for help. Yeah, it's good. I, I, one, one other thing I thought about is just allowing people to speak into it as well. Um, mm-hmm. People that know you well, so friends, but, you know, also spouse. Um, so even Casey and I were, you know, I was just confessing some stuff to her the other day, just some struggles. And and then she was just speaking into it and kind of able to speak into how how the Lord can work through that. And um, so I think our, our close Christian brothers and sisters can really help us um, with our restlessness as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I do think we are in, in kind of a unique time right now. I mean, I've, I've caught myself frequently kind of doing the, the next season of life thing with this coronavirus. You know, as soon as we, you know, I feel a certain kind of frustration with the setup of life right now. And I tell myself, you know, all my problems will be fixed once we, once we return back to normal and once the church can gather again and I can go to coffee shops again and go to restaurants again and meet people out in real life, the real world. Yeah. I tell myself like, that's when, uh, you know, by, uh, that's when I'll sort of feel like we can return to normal and, and things will be good again. But you know, if I'm honest, that's, that's never the case. It's never the next stage of life that, that answers things for me. And the, the common denominator there and all of that is me. And uh, the thing that I've got to learn is, it's how to see each season um, as, a, as an opportunity to just do some hard work and, and really wrestle through these sin issues and tendencies that I have. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what I would say. Um, and, uh, of course, any other questions that, you might have um, listener around any of these issues, you know, we'd love to talk and, and reflect a bit more with you and, and provide any help as we can. Anything else here? No, it's great. Cool. Well, uh, uh, looking forward to hearing you teach on Sunday, man. 
Psalm 121, and uh, definitely looking forward to going through the rest of this this little uh, this little songbook here tucked away in the Psalms for us. It'll be great. Looking forward to it. So, cool. Well, listener, thanks for listening. Um, and we realize it's called the We, and I guess we kind of uh, hemmed ourselves in with that title, and it is no longer weekly; it's now biweekly. Sometimes both senses of the word. So we appreciate your. Uh, flexibility there with that so thanks for listening and uh we will talk with you next time